we're, we've, been, we've been blessed um, to have a number of people who uh, are in this community of faith who are going to help step up and lead us and carry the torch. This part. He always has been. He brought Clark in the first place and the other worship leaders we've had. So we just trust him for that. And we ask that you be praying, too. Um, we're not sure exactly uh, how it's going to work out. We, we definitely have people lead worship. But um, just pray for God's wisdom and guidance in that process. So, good. All right. Um, let me just invite you to open up your Bible to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give one to you. Raise your hand and we'll pass one to you. It's on page 441 in that particular Bible that we hand out. And don't really have much, by the way, of slides today. We did get something going. My computer, my precious computer I've been working with for years and years died on me last night. So I wasn't able to get my slides together like I normally am. And, um, but I'm thankful for iPhones. I was able to write the sermon on my phone. And so... Um, we're good to go. Uh, okay, so we're entering a new season, and this has been really wonderful. I noticed when you, when you drove in, you probably saw the, the logo uh, on the new sign, and you wondered, some of you who weren't here last week, you wondered what's going on. Well, we introduced a new logo this last Sunday, and uh, you saw that on the sign. You see it in the bulletin today. Um, we've got a new website. And by the way, we are going to put that uh, video for Count Me In onto the website uh, soon, so you'll be able to pass that to friends. We'd love for you to invite friends who aren't part of any community or church or maybe not even totally interested to come and join us uh, on the Count Me In. But we're going to put that on our new website. Um, we've got a number of new home groups that are uh, in, in the works for this fall. And uh, last Sunday we had our second largest gathering of worship together here uh, ever. And so God's doing something in this community and we're moving forward and there's a new vision coming and uh, on the 30th, and actually on the 16th, want to really encourage you to be here on the 16th and the 30th. We're going to be uh, explaining the vision for this coming year. We're very excited about what God is going to be doing and, and the plans that we feel like He's given to us. And so all of that's happening right now. And we wanted to use this series, The Open Soul, A Study in the Psalms, to talk about and to think through how to prepare ourselves for this coming season of ministry, for the fall and, and what God is going to be doing in our midst. And we've been looking at several Psalms. We started off with one that it was focused on worship. We wanted to uh, make sure that what we do is really grounded in worship. Anything that we do as a community uh, is grounded in our identity as a worshiping community. We talked about that a couple of weeks back. Last week we talked about instruction and learning. One of the uh, key cornerstones of the coming vision is going to be this gospel academy that we started this last year, amplifying that. And, and, and all of us sort of uh, stepping up uh, our learning and our growth uh, in instruction. We looked at Psalm 1 last week about that, about how important it is for us to be learning and growing. And then this week, I wanted to be looking at uh, a psalm that takes us into the concept of dependency upon God, uh, relying on God for what's in front of us. We, we, we all are doing, whenever we set out to do something, whenever we set out to accomplish some goal or some big thing, um, you know, the, the question that, that, that Christianity sort of brings, the Christian view brings to us is, who's actually doing it? Who's actually doing, you know, whether it's something small that you're doing in your, in your house or in your life or in your work or something big that we want to do together, um, God sort of for, focuses us, to, forces us to grapple with this question of who's actually doing the thing that we're trying to do. We want to build a house. Who's actually building the house? Are we building the house or does God build the house and he works through us? And, 
And if so, how does that look? And what does that look like? And it turns out it's a, it's a bit of a complicated question. And I think it's hard for us to grasp and to get our minds around what it's like to be, to be doing things and not doing things, letting God do things at the same time. It, it permeates all of life. And so we've got to grapple with this question. That's what we want to do this morning. We want to grapple with it as it pertains to our particular lives and the things that we are doing. And then also our corporate life together and how we uh, minister together. And so Psalm 127 is going to help us to unpack that dependency idea a little bit. And so I'd like to just start off by reading it. Um, let me read it to you. Psalm 127, starting in verse 1. This is called A Song of Ascents. Of Solomon. Now, there are 15 of these psalms that are called Songs of Ascents, and they're really about going up to Jerusalem for worship. Uh, the people of Israel would, wherever they lived, they would go up to Jerusalem regular, at regular intervals to gather together there and to worship. And Jerusalem was always uh, uh, at a higher elevation than everywhere else, and so they always talk about going wherever they were, they would go up to Jerusalem. So a Song of Ascents These are psalms that they would sing and read and talk about on their way up, on their pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. And so they address various different topics of of pilgrimage, um, but they also kind of connect the people in with the vision for life that God has given. Because when you go up to Jerusalem to worship, to the center of worship, you kind of refashion and relook at your life. You kind of relook at, at what your priorities are and what you're doing. And so they help the people to sort of get that, recapture that vision. Don't we need this in our lives at regular intervals? We need to step back and say, okay, what's the vision for my life? What's the vision for our church? What's the vision for X or Y or Z? We have to ask these questions. And these Psalms help us to ask those questions, to look upwards and to find the answers in God's wisdom and understanding. So the Song of Ascent takes us up into the vision. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build it labor in vain. So you've got these two things going. You've got the Lord building the house and those who build it. They're both building it at the same time. How does that happen? That's what we want to unpack a little bit today. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For He gives to His beloved sleep. That word beloved in the original is, is, a, is, a, is a similar word to Jedediah, which is another word, one of Solomon's nicknames was Jedediah. And so he was the beloved of God. So there's a reference to Solomon and the building of the temple here and his walk with God. But it's, it's not just meant for him. It's meant for all of us to learn uh, from these, these important truths. Verse 3, behold, kind of shifting gears here, children are a heritage or an inheritance from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward, or a gift of God. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. In other words, you have your children relative to your age, they'll be old enough to take care of you. Now, of course, we, we have a different thing going on now because we live so much longer. But your children will take care of you. Verse 5, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, and I'm not, I don't think that that means we should have endless children, um, as some have taken it. Uh, there is a segment of Christians who sort of taken that to mean uh, we should just keep on having kids as long as we can. So you get the, the Duggars, or whatever you call them, the Duggars, who have 20 kids, and they're counting 21 kids. Um, 
and, you know, just sort of keeps going. I don't think it means that necessarily. We're supposed to also apply our minds to think about what's appropriate to our circumstances and our situation in life. Um, but, it, but blessed is the man who fills his quiver with him, says. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, why would he not be put to shame? Well, the gate was where all the stuff in the village would take place. All the, the things that were important would happen there. And so, if, there, if you had a lot of children and you were accused, um, you would have more people to stand up for you and, and, and sort of promote your cause uh, at the gate. Now, <clears throat> admittedly, we started off talking about one thing in this psalm, and then by the time we get to the end, it seems like we're talking about something totally different. And I was very excited when I pulled out this psalm. I wanted us to talk about verses 1 and 2 because I could see how clearly they relate to what we're doing in this coming season. We sense that God is calling us to a big vision, and yet if we go off on our own without God and try to do something uh, without His uh, blessing and presence, then that's not going to be good. Uh, And so I really wanted to look at verses 1 and 2, unless the Lord builds a house. Uh, But it comes with verses 3 through 5. And I thought, well, I don't really have to open another topic in this sermon. I'd like to just stay with the first two. But then I started thinking about what's going on in our community. And I thought, well, maybe God wants us to spend just a moment talking about verses 3 through 5. We've had an explosion in our children's ministry. We've got tons of kids and we've had problems because we're trying to find space and we're getting it worked out. Um, But that's happening. We are in the midst of expanding our youth ministry. Uh, We've had a great start with the youth ministry. We feel like we have a core group of kids, especially in the middle school, and that's ready to be nurtured and just sort of take off. And so we've got uh, some some plans in the works to work with our youth ministry and really hopefully have that to blossom. There's very little going on for the youth in this city, and so we want to fill that gap um, uh, from our perspective and, and with our mission. Uh, And then we've got in the works also uh, a marriage sort of ministry that will be coming online probably in October and then maybe afterwards. And so so actually maybe this does fit in with where we are a little bit as a community um, to talk about children and families and youth for a minute. This verse, these verses say something powerful about children and about how God views this. And so let's unpack this a little bit. We live in a climate where... Uh, having kids sometimes comes under suspicion. And I, I don't know if maybe you've seen that or experienced that. We certainly have experienced that. We, we're from California originally, but we moved back to the East Coast to semi-rural Pennsylvania and lived there for a while. And we started having kids. And, and uh, then we came back this way. And it was so interesting when we had kids in that area and you'd be strolling down the street, there was sort of this enthusiasm. People would walk up and they'd want to, you know, look at the kid and greet the kid and, and be happy. When we came out here, we moved into uh, kind of inner city Oakland and we got a big dog because we were concerned about where there were a lot of murders and stuff going on around us and I was out late at night. And, and so, but my wife would be out and she, she tells a story. She walking along the street and she would have her whole entourage and people would come and they'd go, what a cute dog. Like every time their energy would go to the dog and nobody would ever say anything about kids. Um, because there was a whole different idea, right? The, there was enthusiasm about dogs, but not so much about kids. And that's kind of the environment in which we find ourselves. Um, there was an article, um, uh, one of my favorite articles in SF Gate uh, a number of years back, um, it, written by Jennifer Nelson. I don't really know much about her except this article. Um, and it was called Breeders Beware. And she tells uh, stories of going into Berkeley Bowl with her children and the kinds of comments that people would make about her and her children and having three children and, and, and overpopulation and, 
and all the kinds of stuff. And, uh, and so she, you know, she just writes this very funny uh, article that she writes. We live in a, in a climate and a place where there is, there's, there's sort of a, a, a clashing of views on this topic. And it would be good for us to kind of bring that out into the open and discuss it with the, the help of Scripture and the instruction from Scripture. Because the clear message here is that children, in fact, are a blessing. That children are they're good. That they're a blessing from God. That's the clear message in this text. And we know we can take that apart and understand that um, kids are, are kind of a miracle. When you see a child and you know come into this world, uh, you, you know you can't help but just wonder at the, the miraculous nature of it. It just doesn't seem like it should work, but it does. Uh, God has done something incredible. Um, children are our teachers. Oftentimes, uh, they force us to grapple with life in ways that we hadn't before. Uh, they bring challenge and difficulty, and they, <clears throat> they try our patience, and they help us to grow in patience, and they, they, all kinds of things happen when you're around children that force you to think about life differently and to go oftentimes back to this book and to, to try and understand it and, 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 and grapple with it, and you grow. And Luther talked about that. He said, he said the home is the school of character because of all the challenges that come with it. And so we grow, it forces us to grow. And then uh, lastly, and I'm sure there are many more, I'm just picking out three here, the blessing of children is tied to the idea that life is precious, that life is a gift. And it's a reminder when we, when we see a child that life is a gift, that it's precious. God made children to be cute and, and sweet, at least in the beginning. Uh, and, and <laughs> no, always so. Um, always so, uh, and, and, and so, and, and you look at this, and you, and you go, what a miracle, this is amazing, the miracle of life is, is amazing, and, and, and you just look at this, and you, 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 you worship God, and you realize the gift of it, there was a, there's a book that just came out on this subject, um, it's called, uh, Why Have Children, question mark, the ethical debate, and it's by Kristen Overall, and I haven't read the book, um, but it comes from a very uh, secular perspective and utilitarian kind of perspective. What is the benefit or the cost and loss, profit loss of having children kind of um, idea? And, and there was an article, a review of this book by Gilbert Maylander, who's a, a wonderful Christian ethicist. Um, and it's in uh, the New Atlantis, and it's called The Blessing of Children. And uh, he, he points out that absent so many times from the sort of secular discussion of this idea of having children is, is this notion that life is good, that life in and of itself is good. It's intrinsically good because God, it's a precious gift. And he writes this, he says, if the, sim- if the simple fact that we are alive is good, should we not say of and to others also, it's good that you exist? This does not mean, of course, that my life or yours is everything that it could be. Our lives may change for the worse or for the better. But the starting point is life's goodness. And the implication is, is that that message is a kind of a countersign in the world. That message of the goodness of life, is, it's a countersign. That this is a, a, a precious gift and a blessing. It's a countersign, especially uh, in, in a culture where we find ourselves, um, where oftentimes it's, it's not viewed that way. And people wonder, should I bring a person into this world where there's so much hardship, and what's the purpose? And, and there's just a loss of that sense that, that life is a gift, and it's a good thing. And, and I think of uh, one of the, the parts of G.K. Chesterton's orthodoxy that's always stood out to me. 
um, is his discussion of, of suicide, and, and there's kind of a corollary here. He talks about suicide, and, and what's so wrong about suicide, he says, is that it's a, it's a no to God's first gift, which is life. Suicide is saying no to God's first and most precious gift, which is the gift of life. And in a similar way, then, we could say that children are a yes to that gift. They're, they're saying yes to God's blessing. They're saying yes that life is good, God made it, it's precious, and we're thankful for it, and it's a wonderful thing, and we worship God and honor Him for His goodness in that. Now, I know, though, at the same time, this whole discussion and these verses bring up some heavy topics that are also very important, some heavy questions. Um, Some of them are a little bit more theoretical, for example, the question of overpopulation, and how many children should we have, and... um, you know, the, the one view that takes some who take this verse to mean you should have as many kids as you possibly can. And, and those of us who feel like, no, God gave us brains and the ability to think about our environment and circumstances and, and to process through and make decisions prayerfully about um, what the right number of children would be. Um, so there's that kind of piece to it. Uh, and then there's the, the, the science around overpopulation and, and fears and, and some legitimate fears about that and, and how we, we, we address that. Uh, and, and I don't know where to go with all that, and it's not really my place, and I'm not really equipped. They didn't teach us in seminary how to answer all those kinds of questions. Um, but, but there are some important things to note, and that is that, that in other societies, there isn't a shared view on this, and, and some are, uh, are procreating at incredible rates, and, 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 and so even if we stopped having children, uh, you know, the, the population in the world would continue and, and, and there should be some ramifications with that. And, and then also, I don't know what to do with this, that in countries where they have stopped having children and the number of children has gone way down, they're finding as time goes on that the society itself is starting to decay. It's becoming top-heavy. And they're, they're encountering all kinds of struggles and problems associated with the difference in the number of people who are, who are young versus the number of people that are old. And you can read all kinds of stories about Japan or, or Germany or, some, or France in particular. These countries are running into all kinds of, of struggles and problems with that. And I don't know how to solve all those issues, but it, just to say that it's complex. You can't just say, well, there's overpopulation, so we shouldn't be having children. Well, it's a little more complex than that. And then it also brings us into some other topics that are maybe heavier and, and, and more difficult to deal with. And, and that's what happens when somebody wants to have a child, but... They're not married, and, and, and so they can't have a child, or they don't feel like it's right to have a child um, because they're trying to follow God's ways. Um, or or what, what happens when, when somebody wants to have a, children, a child but can't have a child? And, and we, we grapple with those kinds of heavy questions as well. And, and you read these verses, and you say, okay, here it is. Uh, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. And then yet, uh, you know, for some people, this isn't a possibility. And how do you reconcile this, this blessing? And, and why, if that's true, Lord, why can't I have that blessing? And I want to make something really clear here. This word reward doesn't mean that children come because you do something right in life. It, it, the emphasis of that word is that it's a gift, okay? So it's not like the people who have children are being rewarded because they did something, all right? That's a very important piece for us to know and to keep in the mix, um, that children are, are a gift of God, their reward in the sense that they're good and given from God. Um, but yet sometimes it does, 
you know, we can't have children, and so what do we do with that? It's, it's, it's a painful, difficult thing in some cases, and I don't know what to say about it except to say um, that it's part of the fallenness and the brokenness of this world, of course, that this, this happens. And the brokenness of this world is asymmetrical. By that I mean it, you can't predict where the parts are going to be broken, and it doesn't always make sense. And God doesn't just find out the good people and say, well, you know, I'm going to bless you, and these people I'm not going to bless... No, people who are following the Lord and loving Jesus and, and, and serving Him and, and their faith is genuine, sincere, have bad things happen to them. And then people who are, who are just running away from God and don't care at all have good things happen. And it doesn't make sense. And I don't know that we can make sense out of it all because the brokenness and the sin of this world, it's asymmetrical. You can't, it's not a one-to-one kind of a thing. You can't make sense out of it all. And so we as a community... We have to help each other carry that reality. We have to, we have to carry that together, that, that reality. And, it, and I think this is a really important part of, of who we are as a community and as a church. And I wish I could solve those hard questions. And you know, we have prayed for people who haven't been able to have children in this community of faith, and we've seen them have children. So I believe in the power of prayer to overcome these kinds of things. And yet we, we can't say that every time we're going to pray, that's going to happen. And so there's going to remain brokenness at times and, and sense of loss. And we need to come alongside each other in appropriate ways to bear that burden together and to pray for each other. And, and this goes as well, you know, for marriage. Um, um, some, you know, I love to... One of the things I feel like God's called me to do is on Thursdays, often, not always, it's not a rule, but often I will fast and, and pray and all, all the things that are really hard in this life and the, the prayer requests that people have given to me that are deep and, 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 and a struggle, I will put them on a list. And when Thursday comes, I'm so glad because I'm just giving that day to really pray for those things and to fast and to keep bringing, every time I feel hungry, to bring those before the Lord. And if you go back and you look at the list, you'll see over and over again, some of my deepest prayers are for people who are struggling maybe with having kids or people who, who are single who, but who don't feel like they've had the gift of singleness and are, are waiting to get married. And, and so we need to carry this together um, appropriately. It doesn't mean always asking people questions when they're in groups and being insensitive to bringing up tough emotions in the wrong environment. But it does mean praying and, and carrying these together. It's very, very important that we do that. And we also have to uphold um, 1 Corinthians 7, which, which talks about singleness as a blessing and a wonderful thing. And we need to carry that intention as well. That, that, that Paul upholds it as, as a gift and, and something of God. And, and, and I think sometimes in the church setting, we make it seem like you have to get married, and that's wrong. That's not biblical. That's not biblical. Okay? 1 Corinthians 7 talks about that. And so we need to hold all this intention and bear the burdens together and walk alongside each other and then also hold in the promises of God. Uh, Matthew, or excuse me, Mark 10. Uh, Verse 29 through 31, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So then over it all, we've got this promise that in the kingdom of God, in the community of faith, we receive mothers and brothers and children and sisters and 
and, and, and all of that. We have a family that serves to uh, counteract some of the brokenness in our family and the struggles that we face. And, and that's why it's so important that we don't just gather together on Sunday and sit in a seat next to somebody, but we actually get engaged in community and home group. We meet with people and we have that. And, and, and some of the people have kids and we get to be uncles and aunts to those kids. And, and there's this community, going, there's this family that's being built and some of the brokenness can be redeemed. So all of that is, is to be sort of taken together as we look at this topic. And we're supposed to celebrate life and to embrace it. And we're also to nurture the gift of singleness. And we're also to pray with each other and share each other's burdens in the midst of brokenness and struggle. And together then we become a testimony to the world that in the midst of our weakness and flaws and brokenness, life is good. Life is a gift. And that, that's a countersign to the world. And we're called as a community to be that countersign. So I know there's a lot more to talk about with respect to that, and, and, I, and I think we will and we should in the future. But I want to move on now to verses 1 and 2. And they're not disconnected. Certainly the endeavor of, of creating a household or, or building a house is connected to, um, to uh, this, this process that we talk about, 1 and 2, dependency upon God. Um, but this is much broader than just that. It talks about building a house or watching over a city. And then probably in verse 2, that's a kind of a farming, potentially a farming metaphor that's used there. And, and people always like to say that, you know, today is, is the beginning of the rest of your life. And it's a cliche, but it's, it's true. We're all in the midst of, of starting off our next journey today. We're all going to that next thing. And some of us are dealing with career issues and some with family issues and some with church issues and all that. It's a, it's a new stage. Each day is the beginning of kind of a new season uh, for the rest of our lives. And we're, all, we're always building something. We're always creating something. We're always in the midst of something that's being new, made, something new. Uh, and so the question that we ask is, when we build, who builds? When we build, whatever it is that we're building, who builds? And the answer is that God does and we do. God does and we do. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So God builds the house, but those who build it also labor in the building of the house. And surprisingly, it's not an either-or kind of a thing. It's not just that God does it or just that we do it. There's somehow, there's a, a, a middle way to engage in this where it's both us working and God working at the same time. We're both agents in this sort of endeavor together. And Paul uh, makes this clear uh, in 1 Corinthians 15.10. He says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Talking about His ministry, He worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with, with me. So he says, I worked harder than any, any of them, but it wasn't me working. It was the grace of God that was with me. So somehow... There, it's not an either-or kind of a thing. There's some way where it's both God working and us working at the same time. And I think most of us struggle with what that looks like on the daily grind. What does it look like to have God work and us work at the same time? And we careen between these two options. It's let go and let God. I'm not going to do anything. I'll just let God take it, right? Everybody said, you know, that's not in the Bible, by the way. Um, let go and let God, which is a common phrase that people think is in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Um, let go and let God. That's one way to handle it. 
Or another way to handle it is, is you know, I'll do it my way kind of approach. And, you, and, and without acknowledging God or thinking about God, we step out to conduct our lives uh, taking complete ownership and independence as we approach it. And I think most of us careen between those two options. We start off saying, I'll do it my way, and then we get out there and it doesn't work. And so we say, oh, I'm just going to let go and let God. And so then we just, you know, step back. And, and, and so we're careening between these two extremes when God's calling us to live in a kind of a different place. There's a third option, and, and we can think of analogies that help us. Um, you've all been walking in the airport, and you've got all your bags, and you're huffing, you're put, puffing, and you're sweating, and you're walking like this, and some guy comes past you, and he's just sort of strolling like this. He doesn't look like he's walking at all, because he's on the little people mover thing, right? <laughs> and he's just kind of cruising along, and you're sweating. And, and so there's a, there's a way in which, you know, when we, when we work with God, it's like, you know, stepping onto the people mover, and you're still walking, but God's moving. Or another analogy that people use, which I really love, is this one of sailing. You know, you go out in a boat. You could just sit there and let go and let God and just drift in the ocean. Let's say you're trying to cross to the other side. And you just let, like, are you going to get to the other side of the ocean just drifting? Well, maybe eventually, actually. But um, it's going to be a hard road. Um, or you could try, you know, on the, the, the do it in your own strength side, I'm going to row across the ocean, Right? And so you start rowing and you try to get across the ocean that way. Well, you're going to die of exhaustion just a little ways across. You're not going to be able to make it. But the third way is to throw up a sail, right? You throw up a sail. You're doing some work. You're throwing up a sail, but you're catching the wind. And only God can produce the wind, and that will carry you across the ocean. And that's kind of another analogy for how this works. Now, analogies are nice and sweet and beautiful, and they, they're picturesque and, and, and lofty and all that. But what does it really look like in the daily grind? I think that's what... We really want to know. And this is something that's been one of the objects of study in my life. What does it really look like to depend on God and yet work hard? I'm sort of a hard driver, get up early, want to get stuff done, work hard. And so for me to depend on God um, has been really hard and I'm still in process of learning. It's really tough. How do I do that? Because I feel like I know how to do things. And I usually get to that place where you know I'm partway through and then I'm like, oh, I didn't really know how to do this. God, I need you. Um, and so bringing those two together has been a life process and it's been something that I've been searching after for a long time. And what, so what does it look like in the daily grind? And some of my teachers have been um, people like uh, Brother Lawrence who wrote this book called Practicing the Presence of God. Practicing the Presence of God. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to take a look at that book. Um, uh, and he talks about what it means to, to work, to build, and let God build at the same time. Another one of my teachers in this area has been Dallas Willard, who wrote a book called Hearing God, Hearing God. And just little anecdotes, and, and, and some of these things just stick in my mind. Of what does it mean to actually carry on with your business, but to do it in such a way that God, you're depending on God all the way. Or some of you remember John Albino, who was uh, passed away a couple of years back, and um, he was an elderly gentleman in Albany, and he had helped encourage the start of this church, at least by his presence in some occasions, but also by his ministry to us as we went over his house um, to do Count Me In sometimes, and I brought Meals on Wheels to him. And, and one of the things that always stuck in my mind is whenever you were talking to John Albino, it was never just the two of you. Jesus was always in the conversation. In fact, he had one of those old 70s Jesus pictures on his living room wall. And I kid you not, you'd be talking to him like this, and he's here, and you're talking, and, and the whole time he's gesturing to Jesus. 
because Jesus is in the room as he's talking. He said, but Jesus said this, you know, and you're talking, but Jesus in this, and it's like there's always three of you. And that image has always stuck in my mind. That's how we should be living. That's what it means to bring Christ into the middle of our lives. And then there are other mature Christians that I've watched, and sometimes it's just something that they do, or, and I, something that I see, and I go, oh, oh, yeah, they're depending on God. Even though they're working hard, they're not doing it in their own strength. They're depending on God. There's something about this. It's hard for us in the nitty-gritty of daily life to capture, but it's so critical and so important. So what does it look like? What does it actually look like to depend on God? And I want to just briefly mention two different kinds of dependency. There's the internal dependency and the external kind of dependency, the internal dependency first. And I'm trying to just really get it to the nitty-gritty here. This is just something that goes on in your mind. Okay, whatever house you're trying to build, I don't care if you're just getting up in the morning and you want to have a good day or you want to get to work on time. Let's just say that's the house you're trying to build. Or you want to do something large with, you know, maybe over years you have a project that you feel like God's calling you to do. The big things and the small thing. Whatever the house is that you want to build. There's something, there's a shift that goes on in the mind when we depend on God. And and a lot of times you can't see it from the outside. That's why this is so hard to figure out. It looks the same oftentimes from the people who are on the outside. But what's going on on the inside is very different. When you start off, what's the house going to look like? And you ask God, what should the house look like? And then you say, why am I going to build this house? And you ask God, why should I build this house? Again, not a house necessarily, whatever activity that you're going to do. And then you ask yourself, how should I build this house? And then you ask yourself, uh, when should I build this house? All of these questions uh, for the dependent person are to be submitted to God. Now, how do you submit these to God? You submit them by prayer, by consideration of the word, and by community. So when we've launched into this new vision for the church, this vision for this next year, which you're going to hear on the 16th and then again on the 30th, as we launched into this, the first thing is to say, should we even do this? And to prayerfully discuss in community, under, keeping the word of God in mind, should we do this? And we were wrestled through. And, th- and then we ask, how should we do this? And we pray, See, every step of the way, it's bringing God into the mix. And then when we encounter problems, this is one of the biggest things. You know, we don't go off and try to solve problems by our own, but we prayerfully, with our eyes on the Scripture, in conversation with the Christians and the followers of Christ around us, ask, how do we solve this problem? How do we get through this particular challenge? That's what it means in the daily grind to build depending upon God, to let God build. And those are the three tools that that God has given us to hear his voice. It's prayer, it's the word, and it's the community of faith. And the more we bring those three into the mix, the more we're going to be depending upon God to build whatever house it is that we're setting out to build. And the more we shove those to the side, prayer, the word of God, the community of faith, and we go off on our own, and seek to just do everything in our own strength, the less we're going to be depending on God, the more independent we're going to be. And it seems to me somehow life, what what I've observed is life is a process of moving away from this self-centered independence to this selfless dependency upon God. 
for more and more aspects of life. You become quicker at saying, oh, i got to pray about that. You know, that in the cracks of your day, your mind wanders to Jesus Christ. That in your conversations with people, it's like with John Albino, Jesus is always there too. And you're talking to the person, but you have another track going on in your mind that's a prayerful track saying, Jesus, how do you want me to respond? What do you want me to say? What scriptures are there? Or should I talk to other, you know, somebody else about this? There's a, there's a, there's a thing going on in your mind where in your spirit you're depending upon God. Even though outwardly you might be looking just like anybody else. That's what it means in the nitty gritty and the daily grind to depend upon God and to let him build the house. But not only is there that internal kind of dependency that's going on, but there's also an external kind of dependency. And I think we, we underestimate this all the time. I stand here in front of you by the grace of God. The roof could fall in, right? In just this one part and I could be done. Um, I could suffer a, a, a preaching injury in the middle of what I'm doing. Um, not sure what that would be, but I could be taken out all of a sudden. We, you know, life is, is, is conducted by the grace of God. The fact that we have breath in our lungs, the fact that we could get here this morning or wherever it is we're trying to go, all of this is dependent upon the grace of God and we underestimate God's grace over and over and over again. And part of living and encouraging a sense of dependency is to remember that we exist only by His grace and that He watches over us. Do you ever sit and think back how many times you've almost died in your life? You know? I mean, we're, we're just, I mean, it's a miracle that we live as long as we live. We're driving around these metal boxes at 80 miles an hour on roads and, you know, <laughs> I was talking about other people. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, it's a miracle that we exist. And, and, and when we bring that, if we bring that mindset into the mix, and we understand how incredible it is, it helps us, it encourages us toward dependency, right? Because if you, think, if, you, if you think, oh, I got this, this is all due to me, then you're encouraging independence. If you think, wow, if I could even get out of bed this morning, it'll be the grace of God. It encourages dependency. And that's what we want, is to become people who are dependent upon God in all things, praying and trusting and acknowledging. And the one way you know, one of the ways that you know that you've arrived in this sense of dependency is, the sec- is verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. One of the indications that we're living a dependent life is we can sleep. And we take the time to sleep. Right? Now, that's not to say there are sometimes there are reasons we can't sleep that are not associated with this. Some of us struggle with insomnia that doesn't have to do with this. Absolutely. But in many cases, our inability to sleep is connected to our independence. We're not depending on God. We're not trusting God and leaning into His grace and mercy and strength and care and watchfulness, watching over us. And so this is one of the indicators, and it drives us um, to this. It just drives me to the New Testament, and I just can't help but think about Jesus because Jesus was a sleeper. At least in some of the parts of the New Testament. Remember that story where the storms are going and the waves are crashing over and everybody's freaking out and panicking and Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. 
and they have to wake him up. Don't you care we're perishing? Oh, you of little faith, he says. And then he commands the storm and everything's fine. Jesus models what it means to sleep. What I mean by that is to rest in dependence upon God. Andrew Murray um, wrote this book about humility, and we were talking about this the other day, uh, Sean and and I, and, and in this he talks about how much Jesus depended upon his Father. And and as I read these, I just want you to think, if Jesus needed to depend on God, the Father, that much, how much might I need to depend on God? But Jesus said these things. He said, the Son, referring to Himself, can do nothing of Himself. I can of my own self do nothing. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will. I came down from heaven not to do mine own will. My doctrine is not mine. I am not come of myself. I do nothing of myself. Neither came I of myself, but He sent me. God sent me. I seek not my own glory. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not from myself. The words which you hear is not mine. Jesus said all those things, which is an indicator of how much He depended upon the Father. You say, well, Jesus was God, so He didn't need to worry. He didn't need to depend. No. No, what we have in the New Testament is not somebody who didn't need to depend on the Father. In Jesus Christ, we have somebody who depended perfectly on the Father each and every moment. And that's who we're becoming because of Him, is people who depend on God in that way. And so when God asked Jesus to build a new house, okay, this is reference to the temple, God asked Jesus to build a new temple. You know what that temple was? Firstly, it was Him. And then it was, it was His Holy Spirit poured out into the people of God. We are the, new, we are the temple. We are the temple. And you know, what God had, you know how he, this temple had to be built? Well, Jesus had to cleanse us from sin so the Holy Spirit could be put inside of us. And when God asked Him to do that, Jesus went to the cross willingly. And He died on that Christ, a sacrifice of atonement, so that we could be cleansed so that the new temple, which is the dwelling place of God, could be built. And that new temple is us. And because of the blood of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit can dwell in us. See, great things happen when people depend on God, and Jesus demonstrates that. But great things happen through us when we depend on God as well. And because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in us, and we can depend on God and let Him lead us and guide us. That's the message of dependency. Big things happen when we depend on God. Let's pray. Lord, help us to depend on You individually. Help us to be on the journey of learning what it means to depend on You. To practice the presence of God. To abide in You. To hear Your voice to walk with you, to have the things that we say to others be filtered through the gospel before we speak them. To pause and listen for your still small voice as we interact with the people around us or people at work or our neighbors. Lord, you will do wonderful things in and through us as we depend upon you.
So we're declaring this morning that we want to be like Jesus. We want to live lives of dependence. We don't want to be independent. We want your strength moving through us. We want to be able to declare like Paul that I worked really hard, but actually it wasn't me working, it was God working in me. We want to see your gospel proclaimed in that way. We want to see families built in that way. We want to see lives founded on that foundation. We want to see a church built in dependency upon you. So lead us and guide us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.